Welcome to Hope. Man, this is where we just joyfully anticipate good things from an amazing God. We see he's so good, he's so faithful, and uh, we just want everybody to experience that God and discover the hope that we found in Jesus and for your life to be changed. And we've been in this greatness series. How many have been enjoying this greatness series? Yes, it is. It has been great. It's an amazing series. It's been like, I don't even know, 10 or 11 weeks, and this is our final week of the Greatness series. And uh, man, I love our God. He always has great things in store for us. He takes our life from good to survival to survival to great. He takes us from just surviving, getting by, and he says, I want to take you into greatness. And today, we're going to take us right into the way we think about ourselves, because I believe this. Great thinking leads to great living. Great thinking leads to a great life. You know, small thinking leads to a small life, and great living, great thinking leads to a greater life. Um, I have a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and maybe a one-year-old. She's not even one yet. And uh, we're just so fascinated at how much power there is in the way you perceive yourself. Little people, there's so much power in the way at your foundation you perceive yourself. I know raising our kids, me and Sarah, are very intentional in instilling some fundamental beliefs in our kids about themselves. Not just about the world, not just about their parents, not just about their friends, not just about family, but fundamental beliefs. I think the most important ones are those about yourself. What do you think about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? And three things that we relay constantly to them are, you are important, you have value. So we say this, number one, everybody loves you. So Theo 7, he would know these like cold turkey. He'd just be like, what's the number one thing that you need to know about yourself? Everybody loves me, dad. Everybody say it together. Everybody loves you. We believe that, that everybody loves you. And this, what it does is it takes away your victim mentality. Nobody's out to get you. Well, everybody's uh, uh, mad at me at school. Stop it. Everybody loves you. You know, and it's, it's a fight to get to these fundamental foundational beliefs, but we always are correcting and course correcting. Well, Dave was mean to me. He kicked me again. No, every, Dave loves you. Everybody loves you. So we want to think like everybody loves me. Nobody's out to get me. Nobody's out to hurt me. No matter what they say, no matter what you feel even from what they said to you, no matter what they show you with their actions even, I want you to treat others and act as if everybody loves you. You're like, well, that's just a fairy tale. No, I want, to, I want you to act as if and think like everybody loves you. Even when they're mean, I want you to pretend. So I'll, Dave, pretend and believe everybody loves you. You're like, what are you doing to your children? You're setting them up for failure. No, I'm setting up for success. I want them to believe and think everybody loves me everywhere they go. Number two, you might not be on board with this, but just give me a second. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Number two, everybody wants to hear what you have to say. In other words, you matter. Your voice matters. You bring solution to the world. Speak up in your world. Don't be silent. Believe that when you speak, everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Well, they're rolling their eyes at me. They think this is ridiculous. They don't like this message at all already. Just believe it. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Okay. Number three, here it is. You can choke on it later. You can make a difference in other people's lives. So I try to instill in my children, in their foundation, in their fundamental beliefs about themselves. I can make a difference in somebody else's life. 
And I, what am I saying? Believe in what God put inside of you. Believe in what he started in you. Believe in the gifts that he gave you without repentance. You can make a difference in other people's lives because he gave it to you. He gave you those gifts to serve other people. How many have discovered that the gifts that God gave you aren't for your survival? They aren't so that you can serve yourself. It's not just so you can get rich and, you know, manipulate people and make things work for you. The gifts that God gave you, he gave them to you so you can gift them to others. So you can serve others with what he put inside of you to help people you've been gifted. You've been anointed. You have been helped to help other people. So these are three things. I know it's really quiet in here. I don't know how it is online, but three things we are continually trying to instill in our children at their foundation. Because I believe right thinking leads to right living. Great thoughts lead to a great life. And we want to help our children think great thoughts. We want them to live a great life. Because we believe this from Solomon in Proverbs. As a man thinks in his heart, so his life unfolds. You actually get what you go for. What you believe manifests in your life. What you think about yourself actually comes to you in life. We believe as a man thinks in his heart, so their life unfolds. So their life goes. And if they think they're no good, guess what? They will live in that direction. If they think they can't make a difference, guess what? They probably won't make a difference. If they think they don't have anything valuable to say, they'll probably keep their mouth shut and help no one with their words. If they think everybody's out to get me, guess what? They probably won't interact with people in a healthy way. If they think like victims, they will become victims and so on. I just want you to catch this. So today, I want to look at some people who were born slaves. And I guarantee you, you, you might have thought that was all hocus pocus, nice thinking, you know, believe this about yourself kind of words. But once you hear it in the opposite direction, you'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I might believe that first segment that I kind of just thought was a whole bunch of nicey nice stuff. Opposite thinking. These people were slaves, and here's their thinking at their foundation. They were taught as slaves, nobody loves you. Believe it. You better know it. Nobody cares that you exist. Nobody loves you. You're just a slave. Here's the second thing. Everybody's out to get you. Everybody's out to hurt you. If you step out of line, they will beat you. You are scum. You are a slave. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You, can, you don't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Keep your mouth shut and your thoughts to yourself. You are dumb, unprepared, uneducated. Come on. And finally, you can't change anything about your condition. You can't change anything or anybody, even if you serve us. These are what these slaves were taught. They were Israel, Israelite slaves for 400 years. Even if you serve us, you, we are the difference makers. Pharaoh and his kingdom and his legacy will forever be remembered. You can make the great pyramids. You can make all these great statues of the Sphinx and this other combination God. and You can do all these amazing things, which we are still dumbfounded by today how they did that. They did it on the backs of slaves for 400 years. And it doesn't matter what you build or what you say or what you think or what you do, you will never be remembered. You cannot make a difference in this world. You will always be forgotten, ineffective, stupid Israelite slaves. And that's the way they were trained to think. So nobody loves you. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. 
and you can't make a difference. I think we should get out of the slave mindset, don't you? See, I, thought, I felt so much quiet resistance when I said, everybody loves you. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say, and you can make a difference. Oh, that's cute for your kids. That's not real life. Okay, slave thinker. You think like a slave, you live like a slave. You think like a free person, you, you live like an innovator. Everybody loves me. Treat everyone as if they love you. Everybody wants to hear what I have to say. Well, we know that's not true. Nobody wants to act as if. Everyone wants to hear what you have to say. And approach the world like you're about to make a difference in people's lives. And let's look at the fruit of the opposite thinking. These foundational slave mindsets, these poverty mindsets, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, starting in verse 31, it says, But the men who had gone up with him said, these slave men, they had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. We can't make a difference in our world. They're stronger than we are. Slaves always see other people as more talented, gifted, stronger, anointed than they are. Slaves think everybody has something better than I can. I don't make a difference. I look at everybody else who makes a difference. Pharaoh makes a difference. I'm the scum of the earth. Verse 32. And they spread among the Israelites a bad, impoverished. What's a, what's a bad report? A faithless, impoverished about the land they had explored. A bad report about what they saw. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. It's just simply not true. It's a lie. You ever seen the land devour somebody? I'm just, it doesn't even make sense. It's a slave thought. Oh, those companies devour everybody. I would never do anything, risk anything, approaching. I'll just get devoured. You're thinking like a slave. You're not thinking, I have a difference. I can make a difference. I see something different. I have value to offer my customers, people around me. I can value my family. I can make it. No, family will devour me. No, if I go into that business, it will devour me. I'll get slaughtered all the people we saw are of great size everything's too big it's way bigger than me it'll crush me we saw the nephilim there the descendants of anak come from nephilim we saw the grass we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them now you explain that to me we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we <laughs> we look the same to them you tell me how you know what you look like to them one more time, you tell me how you know for sure what you look like to other people who don't even know you exist. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. We seem like, we seem like, we seem like. That's slave thinking. It seems like everybody's out to get me. It seems like I can't make a difference. It seems like <laughs> nobody loves me. Yeah, but is it? Is it? Are you a victim? Is it that bad? Do people really even care? Are people thinking of themselves or are they thinking of you? You know what I'm saying? Grasshoppers are so small. And they're like, we seem like grasshoppers in their sight and in ours. And grasshoppers are tiny. Even to short people, grasshoppers are small. The shortest person on the planet, any, any you know, dwarfed person would say grasshoppers are small. I don't care if you're two feet tall, grasshoppers are small. And we seem like grasshoppers. It's like unrealistically small. You know what I'm saying? And today I want to just nudge us by using God's word to encourage us to move on from small thinking and to go for great thinking and act as if greatness was in us 
Even if we seems like and it feels like and it thinks like, we start changing the way it seems, changing the way it feels, changing the way we think about it to exit this evil and encumbering way of thinking that robs us of life to the fullest, full of God's promises for our future. If we're ever going to get out of this pattern of thought, we must learn how to master the art of an exit. The art of what we know already in our mindset. Because people who end up in cycles where they are stuck and stagnant are the people who have not mastered the art of an exit. Well, that's just the way it is. Exit. Well, that's the way it's always been. Exit those thoughts. Well, it's just not realistic. Exit what's real. And if our God, and our God is the God of progression. Do you believe that? And the edge of a new year, when we're starting a new year, our God is the God of progression. Our God is the God who keeps us moving on and moving up. Well, where's that in the Bible? Onward and upward, from glory to glory. He says from strength to stronger strength. He's changing us. He's transforming us. He says, I take the things that are not, and I call them as if they were. And they become what I say they are not what they think they are. He takes the things that are not. He calls them as if they were, and they become the fullness of what he said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's the God of crescendos. He's the God who takes it from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from height to higher height. Come on, we can do this. We serve a God who says, I have great to greater. I have more than more. A blessing on top of blessing. And this story that we just heard from Numbers teaches us that the most consequential opinion in your life is the opinion of yourself. Is your opinion of you. The most consequential opinion in your life is your opinion of yourself. Do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Well, I don't see that in the Bible. The story right here in Numbers shows you and I that the reason people stay stuck, the, people, the reason people go in circles year after year in patterns of brokenness and poverty mindsets, it's not because of what the giants think of them. It's not because of what God thinks of them. But the text teaches us the reason people stay stuck is because of what they think of themselves. It's right here in the exit. Right here in the text, we read it. We are grasshoppers in our own eyes. So it doesn't matter what people think about you if you don't believe it. Well, I think he's great. I think he's going somewhere. It doesn't matter if you don't believe that you're great and you're going somewhere. Well, I think he's the worst. I think he's just proud and arrogant. It doesn't matter what they think unless you think. It doesn't matter what God thinks about you if you don't believe it. God says, I, I think you're the head and not the tail. It just doesn't matter if you don't think you're the head and not the tail. Uh, I have plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. It doesn't matter what he has plans for if you don't think of yourself worthy of plans for that. Do you hear what I just said? See, God can think you're forgiven. He can say, you are forgiven. I did everything you need to be forgiven. But if you don't believe it, you won't experience the fullness of the freedom of forgiveness. Well, I, I sent my son. I gave my perfect sacrifice. His blood covers. You are completely liberated, completely delivered, completely free. But if you don't think, it doesn't matter what God thinks. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. God could say, you are never, ever condemned. Never feel guilt. Never feel shame again in your life about anything you've done or anything that's in your background. There, therefore, is now no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. But if you don't believe it, 
You won't experience that. You always have this thing in the back of your head. And scripture corroborates my claim. Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart about himself, about his own guilt, about his own shame, so he is. So is he. In other words, stuck lives are the fruit of stuck thinking. Circling, wandering lives are the fruit of circling and wandering thinking. Where my mind is, my life will follow. If I want greatness, i got to think great thoughts. If I want smallness, I'll think normal, nominal, smaller thoughts. And I want to let you know the enemy of your soul is aware of this. He's been working mindsets from the beginning of time. And all throughout Scripture, he has been attempting to inhibit God's people from advancing for greatness. By messing. How does he do it? By messing with their mindset. Not about God, about themselves. Not about others, about themselves. First shot fired in the garden. This is what he said to Eve in the garden. Do you really think? That's what she's. Do you really think you'll die if you eat that fruit? Here's the truth. God is just holding out on you. He's insecure and he's threatened by you. And he tried to infect them with this flawed sense of identity from the outset. What if I told you in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the book that reveals to us the origins of humanity, what if I told you that in that book, Eve didn't eat the fruit because she was hungry? What if I told you she didn't eat it because the enemy was so good at lying and tricking her? What if I told you she ate it because she did not have an accurate understanding of who she was? She thought the wrong thoughts about herself. What if I told you the reason she screwed up and she missed the mark and Adam missed the mark is because they thought wrong about who they were already before they heard a lie. She was tricked to think something that was not true about who she was and who God was. And Satan says, God told you not to eat from that because he's so insecure. He got her with hater obsession. He got her thinking God is your hater and he's obsessing over your competing with his competency like somehow the creation could compete with the competency the, the the competency that's not a word the the competence thank you of the creator how can the creation compete with the competence of the creator that's not even in the same world and God isn't even thinking about Eve like that. God is not thinking of Adam like as an intimidating factor. But Satan got her thinking and believing that God is trying to hold her back in life from a life of greatness. How many know people who have related to Jesus or you've been on the outside of this whole church and going to community and religion thing. And you've always thought, man, Christians are so stuck. They're so held back in life. They're always obsessing over what they did right and what they did wrong and guilt and shame and projection. It's always like, man, when you give your life to God, you just get really self-conscious and you never move forward and everything's a big deal that used to not be a big deal and now you're just obsessing over the small minutia of stupidity in your life when you used to just be stupid and it was fun. You know what I mean? Oh, sign me up for that, God. I can't wait to obsess over my thoughts now about how I thought some girl was really hot. or you know, how I th- Following Jesus makes you prude. It makes you broke. It makes you uh, all worried and stressed and, ah, never blessed. 
Because all I do is obsess over sin and how I miss the mark and I feel like garbage about myself because I'm not that great anymore. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, brother, barely getting through. Hallelujah. I hate, I hate that. I'm not attracted to that either. I would leave that religion too. Get out of here with that garbage. Are you kidding me? Satan got her thinking and believing that God is trying to hold her back in life from life to the fullest. When he literally came to the planet, he said, I'm not here to steal, kill, or destroy. I'm actually here to accelerate your life, to give you life and life forevermore, life to the fullest, to not take from you, but to bless you, to bring you into more than you could ever get by yourself. He said, I'm here to prosper you. I actually got plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a bright future and a living hope. God's not trying to hold you back in life. He's not intimidated by your success. He's not intimidated by your greatness. Your best greatness on the planet can never come close to a glimpse of his glorious greatness. You will never threaten God's identity or security by doing great in life. It doesn't even come close. Your best day is like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. <laughs> to a God who is greatness embodied and personified. He blinks and greatness is better than your best attempt in your life to be successful. I'm just telling you, isn't it funny? Some people think like you're jealous of them. And you're like, if you really knew, look, I love you, but I'm not even thinking about you like that. They're not even in the same. I mean, not at all. I don't think about you at all. So you think you have all these haters. <laughs> well, everybody's hating on me, Pastor. Nobody's hating on you. You don't have any haters. We're not. They don't even think about you. People that you think are hating on you are just thinking about themselves. They're not thinking of you at all. The enemy just wants you to think that everybody is thinking negative about you. Look, nobody loves you. Everybody wants to get after you. They don't want to hear what you have to say, and you'll never make a difference. See, <laughs> I'm telling you, the enemy wants you to think certain thoughts so that you approach life like a victim. You approach life like you got to protect yourself. Can't trust anybody. Everybody's out to get me. Nobody's even thinking about you. They don't even know you exist. You're spying on a land, and they don't even know you're in the land. <laughs> I mean, in the garden. All right, <laughs> I want you to catch this. There are two people in God very beginning of humanity. The enemy knew Adam, Adam, <laughs> Adam wasn't going to be the hater. Like Adam's like in love with this girl. It's like the best thing that's ever happened to him. He's naked. They eat freely. And he like, it's like, this is the best. I mean, thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's amazing. They don't work. They don't sweat. There's no, there's no pain. It's like no toil. It's just tending tending to the garden. There's no toil. There's no work. It's just literally sex and nakedness and eating and pleasure and walks with God in the garden. That's like what it is. And you just look at stuff and you call it out and it becomes that. It's like, whoa, that thing and that thing. And you're just like creating realities. Kind of like heaven. It literally was heaven on earth. It's literally what we're going to go to someday. We just command things in our words, create worlds. Just like our creator designed us to do. It's like, holy. So he made God. Adam's not, not going to be the bad guy. So he made God. Because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Satan, Lucifer, he has a beef with God. He wants everybody to think God's bad. He's out to control your life. He's out to ruin your life. And 
man, he's just out to get you. So he made God the person that's after her. I was like, duh. Adam's just standing there like, yeah, I don't even know what's going on. I'm distracted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so God, God is hating on you, Eve. God is holding out on you, Eve, trying to keep you from life at that next level. He wants to keep you in smallness, not bring you into greatness. And how many of our people in our world still believe that ridiculous lie about the man upstairs who's looking for an excuse to just blast him with lightning and the walls are going to fall in and the fire is going to turn on when they walk through the building. And it's our responsibility as a church to show them the opposite is true. God is good. I don't know what you've heard. He's better than you think he is. He likes you more than you think he likes you. And he's for you, not against you. And by the way, he'll never be intimidated by you as his creation. Believe me, only ever good. He's not mad at you at all. He's not threatened by you at all. He's not wanting or waiting to figure out a way to control your life. Actually, he wants to bring you into life at the next level. He, I'll, I'll give you some, some reality here. He wants you to do better than he did when he was walking the planet Earth. Jesus is God in flesh. He walked the planet earth. He crushed everything he went after. He was so good at being God and being fully man and fully God. And he said, you guys think I'm amazing. You think I'm the greatest thing ever on the planet, right? And they're all like, yeah, Jesus, you're amazing. And he's like, guess what? I actually want you to do better than I did. Well, where's that in the Bible? He said, these things and greater things, greatness things, you will do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So I'm going to leave you more empowered. I'm going to leave you more set up for success. I want you to reign in life. I want you to win at life. I want you to go for greater than you saw me, God in flesh, do. You think I'm trying to hold back from you? Jesus is like the most liberating, empowering, um, uh, helping person, grace-filled person uh, ever walked the planet. He said, I want you to do better than me. You're going to do greater things than I've done. He wants to propel you into your purpose and into your passions and set you up for prosperity and success. It's always been his plan. Well, it sounds like prosperity. Well, I don't know. The beginning of the gospel starts with, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. For unto you this day, hello Christmas, a Savior has been born. He's like, good news, great tidings, prosperity. I got the best thing going for you. And when he leaves the planet, he says, these things and greater you will do to give you a bright future and living hope. And he's not a hater. He's actually kind. Actually, he is so kind. It's his kindness that leads people to repentance. Big word for life turnaround. It's his kindness that changes people's minds. It's his kindness that changes people's lifestyles. It's his kindness that changes people's realities. Life turnaround happens because he's kind. And he takes us into freedom, into wholeness, into abundance. But somehow, Eve started thinking, she's a victim. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And she thought that based on an offense that she heard from a rumor in the garden that got to her first. She heard that from a snake that started talking to her about some things. And here's the point. Satan says to Eve, God knows if you eat the fruit, you're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. If you eat it, you're going to be just like him, and he'll be intimidated because you'll know good from evil. And that's not a total lie. It's what the Bible calls guile. Guile, okay? Not Kyle, guile. So it's like a half-truth. It's not an outright lie, 
But it's taking the truth, twisting it, and using it in a way that's very deceptive. So Eve's like, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. He is holding out. So she eats the fruit. But watch this. That happens in Genesis 3. Take a timeline with me. Genesis 1, when God creates the human species, before he engages in creation, he has a conversation with himself. And he says to himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Godhead, three in one, let us make humanity, mankind, in our own image. Male and female, he created them. He says, let us make man in our own image. And then he catches this, and in our own likeness. Literally the word, likeness. Remember that word. Now notice, Satan says, you'll be like God in Genesis 3. But in Genesis 1, God created humanity already in his likeness. Again, Satan (laughs) didn't say you would be God. He didn't say you'll be God himself. He said you'll be just like God to Eve. That's Genesis 3. But in Genesis 1, you with me? The human species was created in God's likeness already. So Eve eats the fruit, trying to become something she already was. She eats this lie, trying to become something she already was. How many people are pursuing some facade or some image or some lie that they already are? She eats this going for something that she already is, but she didn't think she was. But she didn't count herself as being, she didn't know it for herself. She didn't believe it about herself. Why? Why? Was it because nobody told her? Maybe, but more importantly, she didn't think it or believe it about herself. If she did, she would have stomped that serpent's head and said, oh, shut up. I already know who I am. You said, you're telling me I'll be like God. I'm already made in his likeness. I'm already fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And I know it full well. My heart can't even handle it. On my worst day, I am more like God than you'll ever be, you stupid snake. Slither away. I'm already more like God than you'll ever be. Lucifer the loser? As a matter of fact, nobody is competing with me because nobody can beat me at being me. I've already been created in the image and the likeness of God. You're trying to sell me something I already have. I'd be stupid to buy that. I already have it. It's already been paid for. It's already fully mine. It's my identity in Christ. Why would I try to buy something I'm secure in? But Eve believed the serpent. She thought, thought, it's a thought, that God was holding out on her, and he was against her, he didn't like her, and she couldn't make a difference relating to him. Why? Because the serpent got to her first. Why did she believe that? Because the serpent got to her first. And some people are wrestling with who they are today, their inner identity, because they're wrestling with the words and the thoughts of some snake who got to you first. Some pastor who got to you first. Some grandmother who got, some weird uncle who got to you first. I want to tell you, first is formative in creating either stinking thinking or stunning thinking. That's why you're like, oh, you're crazy to teach your your, your, your zero to five-year-olds that. I'm like, are you sure I'm crazy? Because I want them to think like champions. I want their thinking to be stunning. 
It goes against everything in their nature to believe those things. So I'm always fighting them, trying to teach them. Everybody wants to hear, you can make a difference. Come on, everybody. I'm always fighting like crazy to instill that in them. But guess what? It's going to end up in stunning thinking if they think it, if they believe it. You know what science says? The first five years of your life are the most formative years that have the potential to have the greatest impact on your entire future. Who or what got to you first, Eve? Who or what got to you at zero to five? Because that might be what formed the foundation that still has you trapped in your late 40s. And you still think God is out to get you or God is holding things against you when his blood says you are completely free. There is no condemnation. But somebody got to you first and said, if you don't, if you don't get saved every weekend, you could lose this. Uh, you got to get, you got to, you got to, you got to work it. You got to earn it a little bit. I mean, it's free, but then you got to be a good person. The grace is sort of good and sort of real, but not too much. Got to keep controlling you. Got to keep you coming back for more. You know what I'm saying? Like, who got to you first? You think things about God that he is not. I'd say this. You think things about people that you know. You know why you can't trust people, and you are so wrong. But you know, because somebody got to you first. It's not the way it's meant to be. See, you might not feel worthy because somebody got to you first. And they stole your worth from you. And they said, not valuable, worth abuse. You know, you don't feel good enough or equipped enough or qualified enough because somebody got to you first. It doesn't matter how many degrees, how many diplomas you have, how many things hanging on your wall behind you. You still never feel like you're enough because somebody got to you first. You don't feel significant because somebody got to you first and stole your significance. And God may not have had the first word in your life, but I came to tell you, he's going to have the last words in your life if you let him, if you listen to his word. I want to tell you, you are not where you came from. Thank you, Jesus. And you are not what you have done. You are exactly who he says you are. Let his word speak louder than any voice in your foundation. Let his word become the cornerstone, the foundational truth that you build your identity upon. Let his word be the compass that says, this is north. This is who I am. This is what God says. This is what he's believing about me. This is what he says over my life. This is what he tells me I am. Let that be louder than any other voice that says he wants to hold you back. God will have the final word in your life if you let him and get you back to the place you really were before the foundations were set what are you talking about pastor i'm talking about before the abuse when you were seven i'm talking about before the abandonment when you were 12 i'm talking about before the aberration in your life when you were 35 ephesians 1 4 says he chose us in him god chose us in him catch this word before the foundation of the world Woo, that's a long before. He formed you before they got to you first. 
And even though the enemy may have stolen the first on earth, God will have the final word here on earth and throughout all eternity. He may have stolen the first from Eve, but I'm telling you what, before she heard a lie from a snake, God already had made her in his likeness. And he's going to have the final word in her life. I want to tell you, God is going to have the final say. His word is true. What he said he meant. And you are before. You are everything that she said you are before. Are you catching this? God is going to have that final word. See, I'm telling you, the enemy has no new ideas. He has the same old half-truths that he worked in the beginning, and he's still working it today. And his strategy is to steal the first word, to steal the first impressions. I know this is not the first impression for most of you in church. He's been stealing for a long time. First impression of of people he's been stealing for a long time. He's trying to kill your dream, trying to kill community before it even begins. He's trying to steal trust before you even offer trust. He's trying to destroy your future and your destiny. His job title is to steal, kill, destroy. And just like the enemy did with this Adam and Eve in this garden, he did it with people in this passage in the wilderness. (laughs) The book of Numbers is describing to us a story of a group of people named the Israelites who have been in Egyptian slavery and captivity for over 400 years. That's a lot of generations of you have no say, you shouldn't say anything, you won't make a difference, and nobody loves you. And at some point, these slaves get sick and tired of being sick and tired and beaten and broken and battered. And so they cry out to God and say, God, we need deliverance. God, deliver us. And they say that to God, and God finds a man named Moses minding his own business, and he tells Moses, I want you to deliver these people. And they talk to God saying, God, we need a deliverer. And God talks to Moses. And they say, God, please help us. And God doesn't talk to them. He talks right to Moses. And they say, God, please help us. We need a deliverer. And God talks to Moses. I don't know about you, but that bothers me a little bit. Because when I got a problem, and I'm crying out to God, talking to God about my problem, I want God to talk to me, not to somebody else about my problems. Jesus, we got a situation down here in my life. What are we going to do about this? Am I the only one? You're like, God, pay attention to me. I'm talking to you. Are you with me? Okay, yes. I want you to talk to me. I'm talking to you. But just because God is not talking to you about your problem does not mean that God is not working on the answer. Just because it seems like he doesn't care about your problem, it doesn't mean he's not actively working and caring on your problem, about your problem. Sometimes God's not talking to you because he's talking to your deliverer. Sometimes God's not talking to you because he's talking to your Moses. But here's the issue, though. God's talking to Moses, and Moses' insecurity is talking back to God. I want you to see this, because Moses has a problem with his communication skills. He has a problem with his speech. He has a stuttering problem, and he's really insecure about it. So here we go. Israelites talking to God. God's talking to Moses. Moses' insecurities talking back to God. So when God says to, 
says to him, I, I want to use you to speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I know it's a big, a big thing to remember. Let's memorize it together. Let my people go. I know it's really intimidating. I know he's the most powerful person in the world. I know you're bad at communication, but you got to say these words. Let my people go. Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. It's a lot to remember. And if you read the text, it's literally what he did like a couple times, ten times. Plague after plague. And he's like, no, 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 Moses, you don't understand. Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's like, nah. And then frogs come. Let my people go. Nah. And the, the flies come. And the famine comes. And the blood comes. And the death comes. It's like, Moses literally says, let my people go. You know what I'm he's, And he's like, no, it's too intimidating. You got the wrong guy. Because you're calling me to do something in an area I'm uncomfortable in. So again, millions of people are crying out to God, talking to God, because they're going through hell, beaten in bondage, broken in every way of their life. And God talks with Moses, and Moses' insecurity, talking back to God, and Israel's deliverance is delayed. Because Moses can't get over the way he thinks, not about God. God can do anything. Not about people. Oh, people, they could get some help. They could really use some help. It's not because he's not empathetic. It's not because he doesn't care about his people. He loves his people. He loves God. Both of them need help. What stops him? Moses can't get over the way he thinks about himself. Self-thinking. Small thinking about yourself leads to small living. And greatness is calling his name. We need a great deliverer. The greatest deliverer of all humanity. It's going to be a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And Moses is like, nah, I don't think I can do it. I love you, God, and you can do anything. Bushes are burning. My feet, sandals, flip-flops are off. This is incredible. But I am not able. I mean, Israel's deliverance. Millions of people are held hostage to one man's wrestling match with his own insecure thoughts about himself. I'd like to ask you this morning, who is waiting on you to just get over you? Which child in your family is waiting on you to change your ridiculous thinking about yourself? What's the name of the supervisor? What's the name of the manager, the coworker that's waiting on you to change the way you think about yourself? You understand, Pastor? It's 2022. I'm starting to try, change the way I think about my boss, Musfaba. He's a good guy. He's not out to get me, Musfaba. It's like, oh, I'm trying to change the way I think about my coworkers and be more kind and generous. Stop thinking about thinking about them and thinking about him and thinking about that. Think about the way you think about you. Because the change out there happens because there's change in here. If you never change inside, you'll never reach more people outside. If you don't change your thinking inside, you'll never have a great life on the outside. All that catches up to what you think about yourself. So what company, what church leadership team, what community is waiting in captivity due to your crazy thinking about you? And how long will they be tortured in life? How many more days are they going to get beaten, laying bricks for Pharaoh and his huge temples? Because you won't address your ridiculous thoughts of insufficiency. Real people are waiting on the other side of your pathetic thinking problem about yourself. 
Who's waiting on your yes? There's something on the other side of your yes. And I want you to know this. Your yes to God isn't just about you. Your yes is about others. And when you refuse to step into greater thoughts that God thinks towards you, you are a mighty deliverer. Guess what? You are robbing us of what God wants to bring to our lives through the real you. Come on. And your insecure thoughts imprisoning you leads to lives not getting set free from Egypt, which is just a picture representing sin and death, meaning that you not coming out of your own insecurities blocks people from connecting to Christ and living with the wages of sin and death. Well, that's a lot. That's heavy. Yeah, to Moses, they're really dying. They're really being worked to death. They're really killing the firstborn of every Jewish family member. They really are feeding kids to the, the crocodile gods in the Nile today. People are really waiting on you. Do something, man. Not about your thoughts towards God. He's amazing. He's powerful. Yeah, go ahead, Christian. Keep telling the world how great God is, how able God is. He's just waiting for you to think different thoughts about you. And yeah, you're an insecure Christian. That's what we call you. But your life is free, Moses. I want you to know Moses cheated death. He should be in prison. He murdered a man. He buried him in the sand. And now he's just happy to be him and Jesus going to church on the weekends. You're all set. You know Jesus, Moses. Well, you're trapped in small thinking, but at least your eternity is secure in Christ, and you're not a slave to sin anymore. What about all the people back in Egypt who are slaves to sin and death that are going to spend their whole lives and their entire eternity slaves to sin and destruction, separated from the fullness of life? That See, this is a picture just because you think that you're not enough and it feels uncomfortable for you. Would you please get over it? Would you please get over how uncomfortable you feel and commit to something beyond comfort? I want you to know today, people of hope, the stakes are real. There's so much riding on the other side of your made-up mind being open to a new thought. Just open up your heart to a new thought. Not about God, about yourself. Don't spiritualize it. Think about all the places you're stuck and open up your mind to say, the way it's always been isn't the way it always has to be. I don't know everything about the way it is. Open up your mind to a new thought that could transform your future and the futures of other people's lives forever. Because you are a deliverer. You have been set free to set other people free. You have been given hope to give away hope. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Just open up your mind to a new thought. Maybe I could trust somebody. Maybe I could make a difference in someone's life. Maybe I, maybe I could be the person that people want to hear have a conversation that matters. I could say something. People want to hear what I have to say. Trust what he says about you for your sake and for their sake. You are not a loser. You are not what you did as a murderer, Moses. You are a deliverer. You were drawn out to deliver, Moses. It's who you've been since the beginning. I want to tell you, you are deliverers. It's been who you've been since the beginning. God drew you out of darkness and brought you in to his marvelous light. It's who you've been since before the foundations were set. When you were a baby in a basket floating down the Nile. 
He is birthing a purpose for you. Don't tell me what you are and what you're not, Moses. You've been drawn out your whole life. Don't tell me the way you know it is because you forfeited something with murder. I knew you before I formed you in your slave mama's tummy. And I ordained you a deliverer to my people. Don't delay their deliverance with your detrimental, dysfunctional thinking about yourself. Think greater thoughts, Moses. Think greater thoughts, people of hope. Think something greater. So just like you, he has got these insecurities about all his inabilities. And just like you, he has all these insecurities about his insufficiencies. And he's got himself thinking small, safe thoughts. And not only is he insecure about his inability, he's probably insecurity around, insecure around his issues. Anybody got issues? Sin issues? Falling short issues? Because like most of you, Moses had a past. He was a murderer. Now all your issues that block you from helping other people, I bet you they're not murder. I took a pretty big gamble at the 9 a.m. I said, I don't think any of you ever killed somebody. And I don't think God does this, but we kind of rate sin, you know. It's like lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, fornication, you know, all the, all the way up to murder. I mean, murder is pretty bad. Wouldn't you kind of be judgy if you murdered somebody? You know, a little bit of judgment? Like you're a murderer? You took a person's life? God's like, do not let your inabilities, your insecurities. Come on, don't let your past prevent you from going for greater and your future. He killed a man in his past. And then he buried the body in the sand. And maybe none of us have murdered anybody, but all of us have some stuff that we want to stay buried, please. And the fact that his past wasn't perfect and the fact that it made him insecure in his thinking did not disqualify him from the greater destiny that God had in store for him to be a mighty deliverer in his generation. You need to believe in this God who believes in you. You believing in yourself on your best day doesn't come close to the way the God of the universe believes in you. God never argues with Moses about his insecurities because he's probably right. He just promises. He never argues with, God, with Moses about how insufficient and how unqualified he is as the murderer who ran away from Egypt. Because it's all true. He just promises Moses, I'm going to give you my intervention power. So you're unable. You are insecure. You got inability, right? You are not the person that can do this, but I'm going to intervene on your behalf. He says, okay, when you say yes, I'm going to send Aaron to help you. And Aaron's this communicator. He's this amazing man of God. Aaron was Moses' brother, and Aaron was going to help Moses with the speaking part. But Aaron wouldn't come until Moses said yes to God's best, greater thoughts about himself. Because your help doesn't come before the yes. Your help comes after you say yes. And a lot of times we want to see the help, then we say yes. I say yes to you, God, because I see all these open doors and everything's coming together. Lord, show me, then I'll say yes. Lord, train me, prepare me, qualify me, cover my past, and then I'll say yes. Good, good. God, come through first, and then I'll say yes to you. But God says to a lot of people, actually, no, no, Abraham, you offer Isaac on a sacrificial offering, then I'll show you the ram in the thicket. 
God says, no, Gideon, you go in this might of yours. You believe in yourself. You believe in your own strength. Then I'll show you my strength. God said, no, 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 Esther, you risk your life. You speak up. You say, everybody wants to hear me. Everybody wants to uh, hear what I have to say. I'm about to make a difference in all of my genocidal friends' lives. Uh, You risk it with the king, and then you'll find favor with him. No, Joshua, you shout at walls first, and then I'll cause the walls to crumble. You say yes. You move, and then God will move with you. So God tells Moses, yeah, you go. God says, Moses, you go tell Israel, I'm going to lead them out of Egypt to a place called Canaan. And Canaan represents the kind of life that Jesus wants to lead us into. It's a life to the fullest, flowing with milk and honey. Everybody following. We're almost done. So God told Moses, I'm going to take you to Canaan. But he didn't tell him when, and he didn't show him the way. So Israel is coming out of Egyptian thinking. They're going right from Egypt straight to Canaan. But straight to Canaan, they had to go through Philistine country. And the Philistines are these huge people. He's like, I don't want to get you in a battle that's going to make you backslide. So God says, okay, i got to take you through a place that's not as occupied. It's a 40-day transitional period. Okay, John? A 40-day transitional period. And they're going to call it a wilderness. It's in a desert. i got to take you through that place for a process to get some thinking out of you. Because even though you're out of Egypt, Egypt is not out of you yet. You still think like a slave you've been slaves for 400 years so you don't think like soldiers yet but i'm going to take you through some transition get you from slave to soldiers so i need some time to shift your mindset because you have to step into all that i have for you you got to go from slave to soldier mentality are you tracking and this was supposed to take 40 days you got to go from a victim mentality everybody's out to get me to a victor mentality everybody's on my side you got to go from a borrower mentality, just barely get by, to a blesser mentality. I can't wait to be the biggest, generous person in my world. So I need some time to process you through the wilderness. Wilderness represents transitional seasons from where you were thinking to the next. You're not, you are out of Egypt, but you're not in Canaan yet. You're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're going yet either. Amen. So you're in transition. So they're in this place where they're free. But I want to ask you, free for what? They're in this place where they're free, John. But I want to ask you, free for what? And they're not sure yet. The Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's not for survival. It's not for barely getting by. So you're moving in your mind from, freed from, freed from Egypt, freed from sin, to freed for victory. Free for Champion living, champion thinking. I'm not just free to survive, I'm free to thrive. The wilderness represents transitions in the thinking patterns of your life. So after Israel is in the wilderness just a little while, God says, all right, it's time to move on. This is what Moses does. There's 12 tribes, make up all of Israelite nation as a whole. Moses says, all right, I want one person from each tribe to go and spy out the land of Canaan. I'm assuming they were told by Moses to spy out the land, which to him meant find us a way in to attack them as soldiers. Spy so that we can attack. That's what spies do. It wasn't for the purpose. It wasn't for the purpose of them deciding whether we're going to go in here or not. If it were, it'd be the biggest leadership mistake of his life. They were not told, you know, tell us whether we can do this or not. Spies gather intel. 
They give it to generals that make strategies to attack based on the insider information that the spies gather. Are you catching me? Spies do not tell generals, yeah, we should, or no, we shouldn't. But they came back, and somehow Moses was weak in his leadership, and he gave them a say. And they said, oh, Moses, everything you said about the land is so true. But it's too big for us. We're not great enough for it. It's too big for us small people. What God has in our future is out of our league. And as as a bunch of ex-slaves, we're going to die. There are giants over there. And we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes also. Here's the problem. Okay, don't miss this. They didn't see themselves as grasshoppers until they saw other people as giants. They didn't see themselves right because they were comparing themselves to somebody else. And you will never be able to find out who you are being obsessed with seeing who somebody else is. And for some of you, social media is becoming your giant. You just keep scrolling because you feel good about yourself until you look at what other people are doing. And then you walk away feeling so small, thinking small. You're feeling small, but you're doing great things. You're doing bigger things. You're thinking bigger thoughts than you've ever thought before, but you still feel like a grasshopper. You're blessed, but you feel cursed. And when you start scrolling, here's the thing. You'll never figure out who you are searching for it and what's happening in somebody else's life. I wish we could just pause for a minute and think about how blessed you are, how gifted you are from God, how smart you are, how fortunate you are, how much impact you're here for, but they missed it in their mindset because you'll never find who you are comparing yourself to somebody else instead of saying we are well able uh, and thinking of themselves as great people ready to do great things for God. They were grasshopper mentality, and this is crazy. They didn't see themselves as grasshoppers until they saw other people in their feed, in their social media feed, as giants. You're feeling small, but here's the thing. You're looking at everything around you except for the mirror And you're looking at everything except for what God says and what God thinks is well able. On your greatest day, you cannot intimidate God with his greatest thoughts towards you. You're like, man, I just think I'm awesome today. I'm amazing today. And you're all worried about pride. And all of a sudden, God's like, you don't even come close to what I think about you. You think we're not able, but you are well able to take the land. And it's because you think you're not able, you wander and you wander and you wander and you circle and you circle and you circle. As a grasshopper, you wander. And it's a self-fulfilling cycle. Prophecy. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's literally a state of being. So Eve, Moses, Israelites, people of hope, God wants to change the way you think about you. He says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. Thoughts of good, not evil. Plans to prosper you, full of a future and a hope. But it doesn't matter until you think that you are well able. Are you catching that? you got to break out a comparison that categorizes you as a tiny little grasshopper. And go for greater, even when you don't feel it. Even when it seems like everybody's being mean to you. Learn from other people, but listen to what God says about you too. I love scrolling. I love seeing greatness in other people. I love seeing the gift that God has in other people. But I I can learn from it, but I need to listen about what God says about me too. You feel like a grasshopper, but you're not. And I know in church, the emphasis is usually on pride, you know. And they'll always be preaching pride messages like, you know, don't think too highly of yourself, which is true. 
Pride comes before the fall. Watch out now. Getting a big fall in your future. God can't tell anybody anything that thinks they know everything. That's true. A closed mind will never walk through open doors. I get it. I'm with you. I hear all the cliches. But the majority of God's people are on the other side of this problem. They think too lowly of themselves and are stuck in small thinking, impoverished thinking, comparing their real life to the highlight reel of other people's life. And the issue, I want you to catch this, it isn't high or low thoughts, thinking too highly or too lowly of yourself, as much as it is right and wrong thinking. God wants you to think right about you. Well, don't think too high, don't think too low. No, 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 just buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom, instruction, understanding. Think right thoughts. What does he say about you? You're not a grasshopper. Nowhere in the Bible does he compare you to grasshoppers. He says you're the apple of his eye. He says you are the light of the world. He says you are the hope for humanity. He literally instructs you to say you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Don't listen to like high or low. Think think like right or wrong thinking. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're not a grasshopper. It's time to move on from small thinking people of hope. And here's why. Because these people didn't accomplish anything in their lives. These slaves never made an impact. They never added value to anybody. They never made a difference in anybody's life. Because they were too scared and intimidated by everyone else. They didn't even try. And what was supposed to take them 40 days ended up 40 years of wandering, circling in the wilderness year after year until finally God said they all got to die in order for them to be soldiers. All the slaves need to die because I cannot change the way they think about themselves. They're walking around in shoes that never wear out, clothes that never wear out, eating food that falls from heaven every day. They got an air conditioning system for the day in the desert. They got a heat of pillar for the cold nights in the desert. They literally are set for life, living on handouts from God like impoverished slaves. And they will not change their thinking from slaves to soldiers. They refuse to fight a fight that was already fixed for them to win. And they didn't have to fight. All they had to do was march in silence seven times for seven days. I mean, one day, seven. One, two, 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 three. They just had to walk around a a, a walled city for seven days and then shout. And they would have won if they just walked onto the field. But they didn't even try. You get what I'm saying. I am sick of seeing the church robbed and the world robbed of what God put in his own people because of stinking thinking about self. Not about God. He's great. Not about others. They all are talented. No, about you. Stop allowing because you're too timid or too afraid or too apprehensive to, apprehensive to fight a fixed fight. You're really good at being you. And nobody comes close to you being you. Believe in yourself. Well, it sounds like Tony Robbins. I don't know. I think Tony stole it from Jesus. Tony stole it from the Bible. You were created in the image and likeness of God. Believe it. My prayer for us today is that God would break us from this prison of small thinking 
when we are created in the pattern of such a large, expansive, great God, and that we would decide to get over grasshopper mentalities and go for greater today in Jesus' name. Come on, people. Come on now. No more wandering. No more wandering in 22. No more circling the same things over and over. No more throwing yourself away. It's time to shake off small thinking and embrace new thoughts that align with what God said before you got started and before someone else got to you first. I don't know who got to you first, but God is saying to you, I will have the last word in your life if you let me. You were born for greater things. You were born for greatness. Come on, believe my word and walk into the greater things I have planned for you. These things and greater, I promise you, you will do with the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you receive it this morning, give him a shout of praise. Say yeah, yeah, yeah.